episode of Rising Tide. The purpose of Rising Tide is to educate, heal, and empower by bringing on the world's most brilliant minds and purest souls. I am humbled and honored to have another Rising Tide in the building. Uh, her name is Sierra, but she goes by the coach's copywriter. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Blessing and progressing. No complaints. I appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, no problem. I, I appreciate the invite. I, pre- I, I don't know why I love doing podcasts, though. I appreciate that you love doing that Um, because the magnitude of who you are and who you actually work with, I just appreciate uh, your willingness to come on uh, smaller podcasts. Uh, So I just appreciate, um, again, your willingness to just support and all that. You didn't give no resistance. You were just like, yeah, sure thing. So again, I appreciate when people have that type of spirit, especially when they're working with some powerful people like you are. No, the crazy thing is like, I'm not too far removed um, from, you know, I, I don't even know how to put it. It's just like, I, I understand every level in, on the journey and I'm still nowhere near where I want to be. I'm just, I've just been blessed to to have some amazing opportunities in, in a few short years. So, yeah. No, that's powerful. Well, let's just start um, off with who you are, what it is that you do, and then how you got into doing what you do. Yeah, so my name is Sierra Say. Uh, the people people call me the coach's copywriter. Um, I am a, a copywriter and mex- messaging expert for primarily coaches and consultants. And what I do is I help them attract their ideal client, um, convert more of their prospects and leads into paying clients, and then that all leads to an increase in revenue. Um, so a lot of times when people hear the term copywriting, they instantly think of like the legality on a trademark copyright standpoint. But um, the copywriting I'm speaking of is from a marketing standpoint. It's literally the process of creating words and messages that are designed to make people take action. So Facebook ads, um, Instagram captions, the the wording that you're using on your landing pages, sales pages, um, even a lot of the the videos that you guys are watching that are like in these big production videos and webinars, all of that um, has a foundation. And that foundation is, is the messaging and copywriting that they hire someone to put together so that people who they want to attract will take the action, which leads to them buying their product, their service, or whatever it is that they have for sale. Um, what was what was the second question, Chris? <laughs> uh, oh, and just how you got started in it. Yeah, so um, writing has always been a natural gift of mine. I've always been a writer, like legit, always been a writer. But around 2010, um, I started studying advertising while I was still at Michigan State before I dropped out. But when I was studying advertising, I learned about the the art of copywriting. Um, back in the day before the digital marketing world exploded, it was really big for like magazines and newspapers. Like when people used to actually take out ads in the newspaper, like the copy was an essential part of it because all you were doing was reading that. You didn't have a television to look at. You didn't have an image to go along with it. Like people were writing ads to sell things. And legit, all you had was what they put in that piece of paper, that short spot to determine whether or not you were going to go buy something or go to an event. So that's how I learned about it. Um, when Did you go to school for advertising? So I, I was I went to school. I was a journalism and advertising major, but I dropped out. So I didn't finish. I didn't finish. Um, so that's that's when I first got introduced to it. Marketing has always been just always been something I was interested in. I've always been involved in marketing. And when digital marketing like really started to to blow up, I started paying attention to what what were the roles in the digital marketing? Like what role could I play? 
And when I discovered copywriting again, but this time on the internet, which turned into emails, which turned into video scripts, I'm like, okay, let me take this skill set that I already knew and bring it onto this platform and, you know, and, and make it even better. So probably around 2013, I got real serious about it. 2015, um, I started freelancing. And then from there, it's just kind of kind of blown up a little bit, if you will. So who are some of uh, the big clients that you work with for the audience who may not know? Yeah, so for five years, um, I was Eric Thomas's ET the Hip Hop Preacher's copywriter. I wrote all his emails, um, all of the the conferences that you saw before COVID. So like Ignite the Dream, that was a couple of it. It was so many. Um, well, yeah, I worked with him for five years. That he was my he was actually my first client, like like my first real my first big name client. I would say not my first general client, but my first big name client. Worked with ET for five years. Um, David Chance is still actually a client of mine, um, as well as is still a coach of mine. Um, Marquel Russell, who is right now my all-time favorite marketer, period. The, the guy is super, super smart and very, very humble. Um, who else? Who else have I worked? I've worked with Justin Owens, another um, big-time um, coaching consultant out here. Kendall Ficklin. Um, there's, I don't know if people may have heard of her. Carlene Roy, she's a, a production uh, lady like she does basically she did cardi b's uh, uh baby shower like that's the love she's on she worked with puff for years and years and now she's into like courses and teaching um who else i'm trying to think i always forget like when it's time to say stuff like this but those are like how did you get these high profile like clients was it just uh like word of mouth or how did you get your very first one and then how did it lead to the big uh players that you have been working with that's that's a great question. And I was thinking about it the other day. So I've always I've, I'm a very coachable person and I'm like heavy into personal development and wanting to learn and be better. The way um, I actually ended up having ET as a client was that I was a member of a person of his personal development community first. Um, and I also the crazy thing is I didn't even pitch him. So I was a member of the community. Um, I was doing the internal work from a personal development standpoint. Now, the other crazy thing is, is that ET was actually my guidance counselor at Michigan State before he wow. became like this, this huge phenomenon. That's another backstory. But yeah, he so we knew each other, but we didn't know each other. That makes sense. But one thing he remembered about me was that I was a writer and an opportunity came um, for where actually he needed help with uh, his mom finishing her book and he asked me to help her. So did that, we we finished the book and then it just led to like other opportunities. And one of the main things I took over was the email uh, marketing piece and then some other projects that we did together. So I was, it was, it's, pro, it's to be honest, it's always been proximity. Like every high profile client that I've had, whether it's been E, whether it's been David, whether it's been Marquel, I was their client first. And it, but it's also like, that isn't like a strategy I had. Like I joined each of these programs to become better. And every single one of them like saw number one, how good I was at what I was doing. Number two, that I didn't have an ulterior motive. And they were all just like, are you taking on new clients? If so, like, like, come on. So I've been working with Dave now for this. So it'll be two years in the summer. I work with E for five years. I've been working with Marquel now for a little over a year. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's always been putting myself 
basically in those same rooms, proving that that I'm good at what I do. And literally those opportunities came to me. I didn't seek out none of them, <laughs> like none of them, not those three. Like normally those are the ones people are asking about because those are bigger name people. But yeah, it wasn't a situation where I was like, yo, can I get on? It was just like me doing, me being caught in my element, doing what I do best. And, and the opportunity literally just fell in my lap. No, that's powerful. Uh, I want to ask, so when you had new ET before he became, you know, the ET that the world knows, did you see, did you see that? Uh, could you see the potential? Not, you know, granted, you might not have known yeah. that he would become what ET is, but did you know that he would kind of like blow up even remotely how he did? To be honest, um, I really don't remember because number one, if if I would have been going to him as my counselor the way I should have, I know for a fact I would have never dropped out. Like I thought I was too smart and I thought I didn't need the extra help that they were providing. One thing I always remember is that he was just always hyped. Like whenever he, cause it was a group of us. So it's like whenever we sat down and he was, you know, they were doing their thing. Like he was just always hyped. But I remember when his book, um, The Secret to Success dropped, I was like, oh, Mr. I, I literally looked at him like, oh, Mr. Eric Thomas got a book. Like, cause that's what we call it. Like we Mr. Eric Thomas. And then over the years, I'm like steady watching and I'm like, okay, like he, I'm like, there you go again. There you go again. So before their, cause their podcast now is huge, but they started it a while ago. Then they stopped and they kind of revamped it. And I ended up joining the community from listening to the podcast. So I joined the community. It probably had, it was like around 2016. And then from there, it was just like, yeah, it was it was literally just being in the community. Same thing with Dave. I joined, this was before he turned it into the morning meetup. It was Sleepers for Suckers. I was at a point um, in my first year of entrepreneurship where I'm like, I like, I'm it's too stagnant. Like I need some help. Like I joined the community to get coached, you know, got coached. Dave actually saw that I knew what I was doing and he called me up one day like, yo, I need some help with with it, with the with your expertise. Um, same thing with Marquell. I got to a point where it's like, okay, I need to learn how to turn my marketing like more automated. Like how do I turn, like how do I make this thing to where I'm not always in the business? Join this program, um, probably, probably about, so I joined his program in like July and then like by December, he's like, I need a coach with your expertise on the team. Do you want to join the team? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> so it's it like that was that that's always been, you know, been the this, this situation. Um, yeah, that's 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 always been the situation with with the bigger name people. It's just being being in the like being in the room. Like the the truth is paying for access. And, and then getting that access without having ulterior motive is probably, I don't want to say probably, that's what's gotten me to where I am so fast. Because while I've been while I've been writing copy and, and I've been studying marketing for, you can say 10 years now, probably a little bit more than that, I've only been a full-time entrepreneur since 2018. So it's like, you hear most people say it takes five, six, seven and it's like, no, I built a six-figure copywriting business in two years. Like my second year in entrepreneurship, I crossed the six-figure mark. And most people don't do that. They just don't. Right. <laughs> they don't. Right, do so I was looking at some and it said, 
85% of businesses fail within like the first year. And then by year five, it's like a crazy number. And then by year 10, it's like almost like none of them exist anymore. Yeah. Uh, so that that is powerful that you were able to become so profitable uh, so quick. I wanted to ask, where did your strong drive for personal development come from? Uh, as I'm hearing you talk, I keep hearing you refer to getting in certain communities, being around certain people that can help like stretch your mind and develop you. And just again, being in community, where did that come from? Was that something that like was innate and you've always like sought out those environments or a situation happening and you were just like, all right, I can't do these type of environments no more. Let me go to something else. Or where did that come from? Um, I, I I think it's a little bit of both. I will say for as long as I can remember, even as a child, like I've never wanted to be like regular. When I was 12, and I'm so glad my mom did it. When I was 12, my mom like signed me up to work at a private golf course as the caddy. And that exposure literally changed my life because that's when I realized that like rich people were real. These weren't just people on TV. Like I'm 13, 14, black girl from Detroit. I don't even think I mentioned that, but I, I'm from Detroit. A lot of people always think I'm in Atlanta or I'm from Atlanta, but I'm not. Um, but 13, 14 years old, like literally watching people drive up in, in Rolls Royces and Bentleys and Mercedes Benzes. And I'm like, people like really live like this. Like I'd never forget the first time I saw a Rolex. And one of I, one of my clients, well, he wasn't a client, but when you caddy, you have like a golfer. I'm going to just use the term uh, client. He like took it off and handed it to me and like I'm holding it. And then another kid, he was older than me. He was like 19. He was like, you know what that is? I'm like, a watch. He's like, no, that's the Rolex. I'm like, what's so special about the watch? The watch? <laughs> and then I went and I told my my uh my dad about it. He was like, yeah, that's like a $50,000 watch. I'm like, why would somebody spend that type of money on a watch? But anyway, um, that so that was like my first level exposure. And I'm like, okay, I want this. Like, I want to be able to leave work at 12 o'clock, go play golf, and then just like I want this, this, this lifestyle. Now, obviously, it was hard because that's not the type of family I came from. I came from a blue, a blue-collar family. We weren't like dirt poor or anything, but it, it's blue-collar. You work, you work overtime if you want more money. Nobody really knows about uh entrepreneurship or things like that. And um, yeah, I, I, it was just like, okay, what are these people doing that my parents are doing? One of my favorite golfers who that I, he used to always ask me to, to caddy for him when I was 18, gave me an internship at his company. He was a commercial real estate agent and he taught me so much in three short months. Like he was the first person that told me, if you want to be rich, solve a problem that rich people have. And I'm like, Huh? <laughs> he like like that was kind of like his little him just planting a seed. Like if you solve a problem that rich people have, they will pay you. They don't care what it is. So just being being exposed to that, and then what really pushed me to get back into personal development when I did end up joining um, ET's community was that I was working a, a good job here, the job that I quit <laughs> in 2018, and I got hurt. And when I real and I was a, a great employee, I had a leadership position. But when I realized that they really didn't care, I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta figure something out. I always knew I had a, an additional gift. Um, I never really wanted to be an employee, but I always said if if the opportunity came for me to do something I loved, then I would do it. But when I got hurt, and um, they was just kind of like, you know. I got hurt at work and they claimed I didn't so because they didn't want to pay me work comp. 
that's when I was just like, okay, what, once again, what do I have to do to get out of, of out of here? And it really wasn't so much, what do I have to do? It's kind of like, who do I have to become? And the first book I picked up again, I'm trying to see if it's on this shelf. Oh, right here. The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. When I picked that book back up, because I had read it before, this was probably like 2016. That's when like everything started to change. And not only that, like all successful people, they tell you like personal development never stops. It's like the the anchor to to becoming or doing whatever you want to do. No, so that's it's, major it's effect. a combination of both. It's a, it was a combination of both. So when you decided to go full out into entrepreneurship, and as you stated, you didn't come from a family of entrepreneurs and all that. Uh, one, did you experience a lot of fear in making that decision? And then two, how did you go through that process of, you know, putting that fear to the side and then still, you know, fulfilling the goal of becoming an entrepreneur where you didn't go or grow up around examples or, you know, have family members that you could reach to for examples or anything of that nature? Um, so it's interesting because while I, I quit March, it was either March 13th or March 17th, 2018. I got the picture in my phone, but um, I, I I had this plan because at, at this point, I'm like, I'm, I'm making money freelance and doing what I'm doing. I'm stacking. I'm like, OK, let me be strategic because I was also in 2018. So I got divorced the summer of 2017. So now I'm a single parent with two kids. So now I'm like, I have to be strategic if I'm going to leave this job because I got two kids, right? So I told myself, I'm going to save all 2018, 2019, I'm going to take the leap. Well, the company I was working for made a major change and the, the automotive plant I was working in um, was moving its product somewhere else, which means all the schedules was going to have to be changed. So at that point, I felt like I was like, I had to choose between this job and my kids because... If I would have stayed, I literally probably would have saw my kids two days a week. And at the ages they were at, that just wasn't going to be acceptable. Um, now I did have, I had like 20, I had $20,000 in a, uh, in a Roth IRA. So that was like my little cushion, but I blew through that. We can talk about that later, but that was like my little cushion. So when I, what I'm getting to is that that was probably the scariest part. Now, I have a unique situation where I didn't have any outside pressures or anybody telling me this is a bad decision because my family dynamic is, is not traditional. So my mom passed away when I was 24. My grandma passed away three months after she did. Um, my real father, not around. And then my dad that raised me, like he's my dad, but he's not like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have told him that at that point. He's, he didn't know that I quit until like a year later. So while I'm going through like these things, the people that I'm kind of using as my sounding board are at this point, other entrepreneurs and people who are in these communities that I'm involved in. And you have siblings? All, I'm the oldest. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. So the luckily the people who I use as a sounding board were people who was able to help me lay it out logically as well from a spiritual standpoint, like, look, You've already been making money doing this. Now it's just about sustaining it and then like being smart about it. Uh, so I will say while I was a little bit afraid, at, it was still kind of a no brainer because at the end of the day, it was like it's the job of my kids and I wasn't willing to give up, you know, that much time with my kids to to keep working the job. And it was I was making 
like 25 an hour when I quit. <laughs> and, and it's one of those jobs here in Detroit that if you work there, you just don't quit. It's a job that people, they there, they there for 30 years. So, yeah. No, that's um, powerful. And earlier you had mentioned about helping uh, people figure out their ideal client. What mm -hmm. are some strategies uh, that you use to help people figure out their ideal client? And then a second part to that question, I guess it will probably be the leading part to it, is what mistakes do you see people making when they're trying to uh, speak to their ideal client uh, on their own without, you know, reaching out to a coach or somebody like you and they're just trying to do it by themselves? So I would say the number one mistake is is just trying to talk to everybody. Like every time I talk to somebody and like, well, and I ask them, who was your product or service for? Well, everybody can use it. Well, everybody can. Like that's the no, it's the number one, yet the most um like foundational piece. Like everybody should get that out of their mind. I don't care what you do, it's not, it can't be for everybody. It just can't. Even if it's something as simple as selling socks, it still can't be for everybody. So uh, that's the that's the number one mistake. Like people just trying to talk to everybody. Um, as far as how do you attract that ideal client? I think the first thing is like truly understanding who that is and not being afraid to stick to it being that people. When I first started, I was writing for any and everybody, like literally any and everybody. But there was a couple of things that helped me narrow down to coaches and consultants. Number one, I genuinely like coaches and consultants. Like, I, I think you got to like the people you're trying to attract. I like coaches and consultants because their mission is to like help people improve their lives and their businesses. The second thing was I was getting the best results from coaches and consultants. Number one re reason being probably is because if you're a coach or consultant, nine times out of 10, you're actually coachable. Meaning if you hire somebody to do something, you're going to trust that they do it well enough for you and not try to micromanage and meddle in their business. That's the second thing people don't pay attention to okay, who, who am I getting the, the best results from? And then the third thing is like really thinking about can these, can the person that I want to work with pay me what I want to be paid? Now, I know that may sound <laughs> shady on the surface, but it's a, it's a real, it's a real thing. Everybody would- That just, sound like a Mark Quill uh, statement right there. Yeah. Like, I mean, he, he had to break it down to me one day, but it's, it's the truth. And, and I had to even go further to say, because some coaches and consultants at, at one point in time couldn't afford to pay me what I wanted to be paid. So I had to go deeper. Like, okay, well, what, how long has this coach, has have they been a coach? And just, just digging deeper. So those are kind of like the three things I always tell people. And like, not to be afraid of, of having an ideal client that's not ideal to everybody else, if that makes sense. Or you have to grow into being uh comfortable with charging high ticket and all that stuff like that or it was just you were just like nah you gonna have to just pay me pay me this or did you kind of start off with not wanting to lose clients so you're just like oh well you can just pay me pay mm -hmm. me this and then you had to scale up or you just started out with high ticket no the biggest mistake i made when when i started in terms of charging was that i was charging people based on what i wanted to be paid per hour because i still had an employee mindset and the, the sad part is this, even when I got to the point where in my mind, I'm like, I want to make $150 an hour. I'm going to be real. It only takes me probably one to three hours to do 
it just say for example if you said i want you to write me a 10 email sequence in my mind i'm like okay that's gonna take me two maybe three hours so you're in my mind back then it's like okay i'm going to charge him between three and four three hundred and four hundred fifty dollars when the value of that 10 email sequence is worth way more than that so i had to stop charging based on how long it's taking me to do this work and the actual value that people are getting from the work. Unfortunately, some clients may not understand the value the way that you understand it. And those are people you gotta say no to. It's like, especially with what I do, like you trying to tell me you're, you're about to go charge somebody 5,000. You want me to write the information that's gonna make this person pay 5,000, but you only wanna give me 500? <laughs> that don't make sense. You know the value of it and you know the value so much so that you don't even trust yourself to do it. So there's no, I'm not going to let you, you know, try to play me when your return is, is, is just, yeah. I think once you also learn what the true value of what you do is, you won't be afraid to charge where, you know, whatever you're charging. Now, sometimes no, that's powerful. Yeah. Sometimes it's harder if, if your service or your product doesn't create a direct ROI or bottom line, but you can still, you know, charge high ticket other ways. But I did have to so, grow that. I didn't, I didn't start charging high ticket until I joined Marquell's program. Before it was, okay, this is how long it's gonna take me. This is what I'm gonna charge them. When it was, it was backwards. Like I'm charging y'all $700 and y'all gonna make 15K in a weekend. Like what? No wonder you keep calling me every week. <laughs> yeah. Especially yeah. when it's your wording that's causing the conversions. Yeah. You know, yeah. The person who's tried to use my own copywriting and all that stuff like that, it is the words matter. So if somebody can finesse your words and all that to make people want to click that button a little bit more, I mean, they should definitely get a percentage of it for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, what are some of your proudest testimonials from um, some of the work you've done with your clients? The, the craziest thing, a lot of my proudest testimonials were, well, one of them I do have, I do have a clip from an event he did in San Francisco a couple of years ago. It's somewhere on his computer. Um, so that was, that was one that I'm most proud of when he actually said my name in the speech. Um, the testimonial I have from Dave is, is a good one. And I keep telling Dave, we got to have a, cause Dave doesn't even know how big of a role he's played. Like, in this journey and in this transformation, because he literally was like the catalyst for me going from zero to 100 as an entrepreneur. So um, when we crashed his site, when I did a re-engagement campaign and literally we sent so much traffic to the website that it stopped working, that was a great moment. Um, I get a lot of great texts from clients, <laughs> just like, like, how are you doing this? Like, like, is this magic or something? Yeah, those, those are probably, it's weird though, because like I said, a lot of the greatest ones aren't like the typical, like the person holding the camera. It's, it literally comes out in conversation. So I, I do have to do a way better job of, of collecting them, but, but yeah. No, that's powerful. And so in your two years of being an entrepreneur, what's one thing that you know now that if you would have known when you first started your entrepreneurial journey, it would have helped you avoid mistakes or it would have streamlined your process? I would have hired a coach right out the gate. So I, I quit my job March, 2018. I didn't join sleep, sleepless nights to 2019. 
So it, it knowing what I knew now, especially knowing that I came out of my job with 20,000, you know, cash, I would have hired a coach right then and there. That is to me, that is the only shortcut to this game is it's just having a coach. And it doesn't mean that everything is still going to be smooth, but you have a sounding board. You have someone to provide some sort of blueprint. You have resources. Like it's just like you're not out here racking your brain trying to figure out everything on your own that would have been the i would have hired a coach probably before i quit to be honest probably like a month before i quit i still would have quit but that would have been the first thing i did i would have hired a coach right away or or join the coaching program however you you know however you want to do it but that would have been i tell people all the time like that that is the shortcut there's no other shortcut no facts. And that's why uh, I enjoy Dave so much. He, he's very, very humble. He doesn't really realize the benefit of just the morning meetup. And I have been rocking with him since it was uh, sleepless nights as well. Back when he it was like a hundred and some dollars, he would send you a shirt every month. And yep. we had a few other little benefits. <laughs> I think you got a one-on-one coaching card with him when you first joined as well. And few other things and yeah dave has played a huge huge part and it's funny because he don't even really be seeing that he just no, like, he, I, no, I just love he doing just, these calls yeah he just be on he always say like those calls are really for him which i i believe you know they are but he provides just so much value in the transparency like last year when social proof ended up having to go from being in person to virtual like i was on the team i wrote like all the copy for it but being able to see him the way he reposition himself and like just how he kind of handled it all it was it was amazing to watch because we didn't know what was gonna happen like he was like y'all <laughs> like he, it was like he had a moment where he was like i'm about ready to just throw in a towel like I <laughs> but you know just seeing how he was able to not only handle it but people still enjoyed the experience that was um that was pretty impressive to watch. It was pretty because I know if it was me, I probably would have been like, I mean, I don't know what the situation was with like the deposits he had to put down on on like the things he had already had in place, like the building and all of that. But it it was a lot to to change up in a very short amount of time, a whole lot. Like he he had he was literally telling us like I ain't been asleep, but it's because he cares that much. It, he cared about still making that event happen that much where you saw it. Most events that were scheduled to be in person when COVID hit, people just canceled them. And a lot of people did not refund tickets. They just like, we, we don't have no control over this. It's canceled. We may or we may not give you your money back. Dave ended up spending additional money to make sure that ha- that, that happened. Yeah, that's crucial. I know that they're doing that with a lot of sporting events. Uh, I'm in Indiana. I bought some Pacer tickets uh, before the thing had happened for like the Jimmy Butler and uh, TJ Warren when they had got into it. So like the next game was supposed to be huge. And then the virus happened. Still to this day, they paid us back. They was like, y'all ain't getting refunds. Uh, And if we're not able to host events again here, then y'all just... Y'all yeah. just took an L. And I'm like, damn, we paid $400 for them tickets. Because, you know, our media can hype games up and all that yeah. stuff. So it's like, but they're, yeah, like they're not giving people refunds. They're not paying people back or none of yeah. that, which is crazy. That's cool. So let me ask not, you. It's not that far from me. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, and I actually be in Detroit often. What is, I got a lot of family here. 
what is an opinion that you have changed over the last year that has improved your life, if any? And then the second part question is, what is a habit that you've changed over the last year that you feel has improved the quality of your life? I'm, I'm going to start with the first one because I actually just, ha- habits is like one of the things I'm studying this year. It's one of those things like you hear about a lot, but until you study it on, um, it that's kind of like how it gets ingrained. And I just read Badass Habits by Jen Sincero, literally just finished it today. And I've been doing pretty good so far, but a habit that I'm, I finally started to form is saying no. <laughs> like it, so, I mean, you know about the disc. I'm a high eye which means I used to, and I'm, I'm starting to stop, say yes to a lot of things I knew damn well I didn't want to do. Or like try to make things fit because of who was asking me to do it when literally it was things that were stressing me out or making me work past the allotted time I wanted to work on a particular day. And so far this year, I've said no like six times. And, and I'm like, I'm super proud of myself. Like I never thought learning to say no would be so important but it is it it really is so that's the first thing and you said an opinion that i that i had that i've changed Mm -hmm. um it's okay to like it's okay to not necessarily like or rock with people and and not and it doesn't have to be personal like so i'm like you know huge on personal development i started therapy was it last year i think i've been going for a full year and a half and it's like in business, especially the world that we're in, I think a lot of times we we think we're cool with people based on interaction on social media, uh, but it, it may just be a business transaction for someone. And for you, you may thought it was more of a, like I thought we was cool, but it was just a transaction. And once again, with me being a high eye, I'm very relational and I used to take a lot of things personal. Uh, when really now I'm to the point now where it's, it's not, I don't, I don't, I let a lot of things roll off my shoulder now, but I, I used to believe that, you know, if somebody didn't rock with me or wasn't cool with me, that it was a personal thing. Like, what did I do wrong? When it really is, is nothing. <laughs> it's just, it's just what it is. How do you feel your therapy has helped your entrepreneurial journey? So I think learning to not take things personal has played a huge, like learning that from therapy has allowed me to to not internalize things that may go wrong or things that will go wrong because nothing goes perfect. Um, That's a huge one. The second thing is it's helped me to be able to look at things from a bird's eye view more and like to really be able to, to assess like what's like, what's really going on. So for example, I've learned how to, to assess myself. So now I can look at a project the same way and I can kind of see what may go wrong before it happens, if that makes sense. No, um, it does. Yeah. So yeah, that that's a great question. How does how does my therapy journal journey flow into entrepreneurship? But I think the the learning not to internalize one is a huge one, especially being a, a high eye with the disc. It, it's it's a big one. Yeah, because in my experience, a lot of times um you know, our emotional experiences and, you know, anything that we're trying to achieve go hand in hand. And you can see a lot of therapy needed based upon how people react. And mm-hmm. I'm glad that I've taken therapy so serious because I feel it's helped, you know, with my customer service when it comes to business. Cause I mean, you know how it is. Uh, 
people won't, you know, tell you anything about when your business is going right. But if something is delayed or a shipment sure. is late or just anything, they in your comments and the deals, all this other stuff. Sure. And it's like, I've noticed people would react negatively and kind of like spaz on people and all that. And I'm like, that just seems like a therapy thing. And it kind of, it can hold, it, in my experience, it seems like it can hold a lot of us back because, you know, we spazzing out on customers, we doing all these other mm -hmm. things. And most of the time it's just because we triggered about, you know, maybe our parents used to yell at us or something. So when somebody is accusing us or something like that, then it triggers that emotion that we do. But if we can just learn to deal with all that things, we can have um, less negative responses in our business, whether it's business partners or customers or clients or anything. And I, um, I'm glad that you uh, said that you're doing therapy because that's extremely powerful. And I'm glad that this generation is getting more comfortable with it because just like five or 10 years ago, people would have looked at you side-eye for saying that you have a therapist. So I would um, never not have a therapist. Cause it's like, the more, the more you eat, the more you grow, the more you do the, however you want to say it, the bigger that you become It's it's different challenges. It's different challenges. It's different. I remember when I started therapy, I wasn't, I, I hadn't hit my first five figure month yet. That's that I've been in therapy for a minute then. And I remember like, like that was like one of my main things. And my therapist one day asked me, she said, okay, when you hit this five figure month, like what's going to change? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> but now that I've, you know, made that, you know, I don't know how many times now it didn't stop me from going to therapy because it's like, now there's new challenges. There are still things that, but being self-aware and like being real with yourself to say, I, I need help. I, I love therapy, like love, love, love therapy is, it's just, I, I tell everybody go. We all Let need me ask you, prior to you having a therapist, did you find it with your upbringing challenging to connect with your children? Um, no, I never. So I, I, I don't think I've ever had an issue with connecting with, with my children. One of my, my biggest issues while I went to therapy is that I, I was a very like closed off person. Like people who literally had known me for my whole my whole life. Um, after my mom passed, they was just kind of like, we like, they said, I don't, they used to say I didn't let people in, which is still hard to get in now. But I was very, very protective over like my emotions. Like I, I, I didn't even cry at my mom's funeral and I was 24 years old and I was my mom's only child. And I think that experience caused me to kind of just like put up this wall and like put myself in this box. So like what therapy has helped me to do is number one, acknowledge the emotion, determine where it's coming from, and then saying, if I do like this emotion, like let's kind of figure out how how to manage it. If I don't, let's figure out what is the trigger so this doesn't keep happening, if if that makes sense. No, um, that, makes, I don't, that makes perfect sense. You know, by the grace of God, I don't, I don't think I've ever had an issue with connecting um, with my children based on my upbringing. It's just always, what what was really the... I can't remember, like, I just knew I needed some help. That's what literally, oh, no, I was listening to a podcast, and they were talking about the power of therapy. It was two Black women. And I knew I hadn't really dealt with my mother's, um, like, death for real. So I was like, you know what, let me try this out, see what it is. Like, I, my mom died when I was 24. I got married at 25, which was a big mistake, but I was divorced before 30. And then I got two kids, and I'm trying to, you know, entrepreneurship, it was just a lot. And on paper, it's like this isn't 
this isn't a good mixture of uh <laughs> of things to just throw in the pot and try to deal with on your own. And like I said, in my circle of, of friends and my family, like I'm the one everyone comes to. So it was like, okay, I got to find an outlet for myself outside of these personal development groups and things of that nature. No, that's uh, that's powerful. So outside of therapy, what, uh, and you know, let me know if I'm asking too many questions, but uh, what do you do to like express like journal or maybe you go on walks or what journal. do you do to express? Uh, journal for sure. I journal daily. Um, journaling, uh, journaling is probably the biggest one though. Biggest one. Cause I, I got one journal where literally whatever on my mind, I just jot it down. Journaling, um, praying, reading a lot. Um, those are probably the, the, you know, the key things. No. And that's, uh, helped me out a lot too. I got that from Bob Proctor where he was saying, you know, when things are frustrating you, instead of just keeping them inside, just write it. And it's just mm -hmm. literally just the expression of the energy. You ain't got to show it to nobody. You ain't got to give mm -hmm. it to nobody. You ain't never even got to read it again. And it's like just, a weight off when you yes. <laughs> on that paper. It's like, okay, the weight is off. Because otherwise it's just like the spirit, like you said, like that weight is just, just heavy. And then mm -hmm. like, you know, they said anger is like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. It's going to do more mm -hmm. to the vessel stored in that anything it could be poured on. So I, I definitely agree of just getting all of that out the moment it comes. Like I'm big on screen therapy. I'm big on journaling. I'm big on, you know, um, boxing and all that stuff like that. Anytime I feel like I got to get some type of aggression out of me, uh, but I've learned that it can be very destructive if you let any negative emotion just sit inside you. And especially if you're dwelling on a thing that's causing a negative emotion, that could be very, very destructive. So uh, that's definitely what's up, man. I'm happy uh, to hear about your growth. I'm happy to hear about your healing. Uh, definitely happy to hear about your success. Uh, so another question that I had had was, what are some of the best marketing trigger words in your experience? Um, you is a very powerful one. Using you in your marketing uh, helps your your target person, the person that you're, you're creating the marketing for, like identify themselves. So you is a really, a really big one uh, because, because is it gives someone a reason to do something. It's like the bridge between this is where you are. This is where you want to go in order to get here. You need this because, so it's, it's almost like a bridge in the wording. Um, you, because, uh, what is another one off the top of my head? Um, you, because, so words like instant, depending on how fast someone can get access to whatever it is you're offering, um, free, if, if it's actually free, free is always a good one. But I, I think the the two everybody should pay attention to is you and because though. Because because, like Those I said, the because, yeah, the, for me they are. Because the because gives, gives someone a reason to do something or a reason to think about something. And you is just self-identification. You want to remember anytime you're marketing anything, it's it's not about you, the service provider, or the whoever who's ever providing the product or service. It's about the person who's reading it. And a lot I see a lot of stuff where people get caught up and they start saying I, and the person who's reading it, they don't really care. They're trying to figure out what do you have, like how how can what you do or what do you have help me? And if you start using the word you, like talking, saying you, they connect with it a little bit more. That is so powerful. 
and my business professor back in college, and I've been out of college close to 10 years, used to say that I never made that connection until you just spoke right there. When she we, she would always talk about like, you know, eliminate I statements, like, and we mm -hmm. always used to have to do that in our business writing, where if you had a whole bunch of I's in there, she would basically fail you because she'd be like, this ain't about to get nowhere in business, bro. If you're yeah. talking about I, 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 you need to start using you and frame everything with you, you, you. Say I as less as possible. And I literally forgot that until you just <laughs> said that. So thank you for triggering that. That's crazy. You're it's it's a big one. And it's one a lot of people, uh, you know, forget about, but it's it's a huge one, a huge one. What are some of the common misconceptions of copywriting? That it's easy. That that's the number one. <laughs> That it's easy, that it's just that um, that it's, you know, salesy or it's a sales tactic when really it's, it's psychological. Like people buy based on emotion and then they what they do is they make it make sense with the logic. But it's, copywriting is a psychological skill set that you legit have to practice and learn. I still practice. I think that's the and, and I think another big uh, misconception is that. Um, well, I mean, anybody can do it, but to be really skillful at it, like you have to study it. Some people think you could just use a template. You can tell someone who knows the crap and someone who used the template. You can just tell. That's probably the biggest misconception is that it's easy, though. Um, another misconception is that it's, I don't know, another misconception I don't know, another one. I think that's, to for me, that's the biggest one is that it's just you know, this, that it's easy to do. You, you can write copy. That don't mean it's good. That don't mean it's going to you know, drive people to take action. It literally like when me and Marquel go back and forth and we throw like sending each other stuff we we've, we've done, we probably touch it like four times before. And we're both really great at it. Like Marquel is, is real good at it. I'm really good at it, but it's, it's the constant refining. You really have to be a student to be really good at copywriting because it can always be better. Always, no matter, even if you write something and you get a 60% conversion, it's still probably certain nuances that would have got it to 75%. So you, it's like, you have to be a natural student to really want to learn and be great at that particular skill set. Like you can't be one of those people who's just like, oh, I, it don't need nothing. Nothing needs to be changed. Something can always be changed. Facts. So what would be, uh, so I'm gonna ask you for three book recommendations. The first book would be uh, one on, you know, just copywriting for maybe a new entrepreneur and all that that's just trying to even gain an understanding of what copywriting is. What is that? Cash advertising. <laughs> cash advertising. Yeah. Cash advertising. Um, and then the second one would be a book on personal development. And then the second or the third book would be um, a book that has helped you when it comes to your entrepreneurial uh, journey. And then why you would recommend those three books. So for entrepreneurial journey, never split the difference. It's a book. His name is Chris Voss. I'm looking at it now. Um, it's a, he was a F, he was an FBI uh, ne negotiating lead. So it's about negotiating and understanding, especially if you're trying to like be more into premium or high ticket pricing, like understand, like learning how to properly listen and hear what they're not saying and how to leverage that to actually get what you want, which is the client or the sale. That's a really good one. I, I just finished that one like two weeks ago. 
Um, for personal development, hmm, which one? It's a lot of good ones. Um, personal development, I would probably go with, oh, The Big Leap. Mm. The Big Leap. That was that one and Psycho Cybernetics. I'm going to give you two. <laughs> oh, I love that one. Maxwell Maltz. Yeah. yeah. That's Psycho cool. Cybernetics blew my mind. <laughs> but The Big Leap, it helps you identify like how you self-sabotage or how you have limiting beliefs about yourself um, and how you like keep yourself stuck at good and you scared to go to go to great and then you scared to go to excellence. So yeah, The Big Leap is a really good one. Have you read The Alchemist? Not yet. It's on the list. Yo, that mug, I read that every year. That mug. Every is, year? Every, it's like, I'm trying, it's like one of those where you would want to revisit it and revisit it. And it's like a story mode. So it's not like a, uh, you know, like most of the books that we read is just like hardcore information and all that. This mm -hmm. is just like story based. So it's like, really, I think I read it the first time in like two days. Uh, but it's just, it's, it's pro- it's just so profound because it's so relatable with a person that's just following that. That's the only thing you're following is just this feeling <laughs> inside of you. And it's just so encouraging of this little dude's journey that's going against everything that he's ever known. And wow. just the only thing he's following is just this feeling. And he's, I mean, failure after failure after failure after failure, but he's just like, I, I'm just being pulled. I just, I got to keep following and keep following it. So is it and a it talks, Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's about a story of a boy who's uh basically just trying to find his personal legend. So he just goes all right. through all these little obstacles. And again, just following this because he grows up in a land where everybody's just basically like a shepherd, his dad, his granddad, mm -hmm. great granddad, his whole family. And he's like, yo, I got a vision of doing something else. And his dad was like, boo, you crazy. And so he's like, no, nah, I got to follow it. So I'm going to sell everything. And I'm about to just I'm about to just go. So he just leaves his land. He ends up in the land. He don't know language. He don't know nothing. He get robbed. Is this happened? This happened? All these other things. And he just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. I think I'm gonna read that one with my kids. To be honest, I have two sons. I think that may be one we sit down to read together. That's powerful. Actually, my oldest nephew. Uh, I started. That was the first book I started paying him to read books. I'm like, yo, you can get ten dollars. Just go to my bookshelf. I got over 120 books on my uh, my personal library. Pick any book you want. Read that joint. I'm gonna ask you some questions on it. You get ten dollars from me anytime you want it. Anytime you want to wow. make some money, you you want to buy a game. You know you gotta read six books from Uncle Chris, and I didn't read them all. Great so idea. I'm, I'm gonna know if you read it or not because I'm gonna ask you the questions. But yeah, and actually, um, I don't know if that played a part, but his um, my brother's wife. So his mom just called me the other day and basically said that he had placed like in the top two percentage of readers for his age group. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Wow. Like, it's crazy. He's oh, getting like national spelling. He's only, I think he's 12 right now or something. But I've been, I did that with him probably five years ago. Some crazy. Like, but yeah, it's just like now he's just, he just loves reading. And like, he just, well, now to the point I still pay him, but like, shoot, he'll just walk to my bookshelf and just grab a book and just start reading. My other that's nephews and all that is playing games and all that stuff. And he'll just be in the corner reading a book. And I'm like, dude, you're so different. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, though. Definitely. Yeah, but that's one of my uh, favorite books. And then also Three Feet from Gold, which is another book. Uh, have you heard of that one? No, I haven't. That's another one that I would recommend. It's basically uh, the 100-year revision of Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Okay. So they basically just redid it. I think it came out in 2011. 
Okay. Uh, but it's updated with just all modern day people. Uh, so it's again, it's just a, just like Think and Grow Rich, but way more modern. And for me, like after I read it, it's hard to describe, but that's something that just, it literally did something internally to me and it like, it changed my life. That's another one that I read every single year. Me and my lady, we actually just read that one. We read both of them uh, last year together uh, as well. But those are two books that I read every single year because it just does something as far as keeping me going and just not quitting. Yeah. But um, I feel like I just went on a crazy tangent. Uh, one of my last questions that I wanted to ask was, do you use automatic, uh, automaticscript.com? No, I've never even heard of it. So it's basically <laughs> like a website for like building sales copy. So mm-hmm. you can go on there and do like sales letter or uh, email sequences or just whatever it is. And like, so if, if I'm trying to do a, a 10 email sequence thing, It'll like have the different type of uh, email sequences that you can do. You select the one that you want, and then it'll basically ask you these different questions. And once you fill them in mm-hmm. and you click formulate, it just turns it all into like a sales script for you. And you basically just take that and just put it straight on your website and all that. I had got that from uh, Kyle, but it doesn't it like it makes it look nice and it'll formulate it all for you but you still have to use the right words mm. for it to formulate and all that stuff like that so i didn't know if that was like a thing that you was using or have used or if it was a good, no, a good tool to use i'm i'm looking it up now i've never heard of it uh i i've i've seen um like i've seen a couple ads for like how they're trying to automate the process cuz like i'm not even going to lie like a really good copywriter can can be expensive, especially if you if you're not like in the high ticket thing. Um, but yeah, I've I've never heard of it. I'm gonna check. I'll check it out. I would definitely check it out. But I think one of the the hard parts about something like that is you don't get a chance to like dive deep into the product or, or service like you would if somebody if you hired a copywriter and you actually were answering questions that made you think about things about what you're offering that you've never thought about. Um, so yeah, yeah. And if you are, uh, they'll, they be trying to do like little weird things and I, I had to learn this the hard way uh, where I had invested in it and I got like the monthly subscription, but literally right after I did that on Facebook, it was an ad for a lifetime uh mm-hmm. use of it for only like $60 or something. So if you are going to get it, don't go through the normal website. I can actually send cuz I saved the Facebook uh little ad thing cuz I've been sending it to all my people like cuz I I I was paying like 60 some dollars a month and I seen an ad where I can get lifetime access for the same monthly thing that I've been paying. So uh if you are going to actually get it, just use the uh Facebook little ad thing or whatever cuz it's only a one-time payment of 60 some dollars as opposed to paying 60 some dollars every month if you just go to the website and try to create an account because uh, they're definitely that's what i said i'm like nigga, how are they doing this but <laughs> so i had to cancel my subscription and then get it through the facebook ad <laughs> <laughs> yeah now i'm i'm uh, ask mark coyle if he ever used it I, I doubt if he he likes writing copy i'm for you these these type of things though are always interested me interested in me how they're trying to but i get it though because there's so many I think right now we got way more entrepreneurs than we've ever had. Um, and then there's different levels. You know, there's yeah. the, the you know, the solopreneur, the person who may have a couple of employees, and then there's the person who's running a full 
full on business. So I think something like this is definitely needed in the marketplace. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna check it out though. But where they really mess up at, or not mess up, but a limitation of this uh, is the language. Cause you gotta do all of that on your own. Now they do, you know, when you're answering those questions, they're like, you know, uh, what's something that your client will miss out on if they don't take advantage of this? What's, you know, so they're getting you to think about stuff in interesting ways. But again, what you type into that is right. what's going to come out onto the document. So if you're not using the right language or trigger words, which again, they're not giving you any of that, yeah, then you'll kind of be lackluster. Yeah, completely <laughs> lackluster. So I feel like it's a good tool to use with somebody who understands the psychology of it. But when you're just trying to use it by yourself, if you don't have any, if you're not thinking about the psychology of the reader, then it could be just like basically the same results of you just trying to type some stuff out yourself. Yeah, got you. Uh, but nonetheless, I appreciate you um, taking the time to come on Rising Tide. Again, the purpose of Rising Tide is to educate, heal, and empower by bringing on the world's most brilliant minds and pure souls. Uh, we were blessed to have Miss Sierra in the building, the coach's copywriter. Uh, if you would let people know how they can reach you, how they can support you, uh, how uh, if they're trying to hire you, where they can hire you at, uh, and how much the whole thing is, or uh, your normal sales information. Yeah, so my everything is Sierra Say uh, at C I E R R A S E A Y. Um, I'm actually not taking clients right now. I'm working on a really big project that hopefully it'll it'll be launched by next week. But it's actually going to be a membership community um, specifically for people who want to like turn more emails into book calls and sales. So I'll probably be announcing that next week. Um, yeah, that I mean that's pretty much it. Any questions? have any you know just general questions or questions that are dm is best right now because i took my booking calendar down but yeah that's the best way to reach me is there a way for people to get on like your email list or anything like that so they can stay updated with uh projects and things that you're dropping yep it's, it's so it'll be in the the bio the link in the bio in the ig that's the easiest way to get to it right now all righty all righty well um could you end it by giving some positive words of encouragement? Definitely, you know, we're about a year into the coronavirus. Unemployment's mm -hmm. been through the roof. But like you said, it's been a time where more entrepreneurs have been created uh, than any other time in history. Uh, but could you just give a little bit of encouragement to those people who may be just now starting their entrepreneurial journey or maybe they're, you know, a couple months into it, but extremely discouraged? Mm -hmm. uh, if you could just kind of pour into them just a little bit to end it off with what kind of pushed you through uh, your discouraging times. Um, I would say the biggest thing is, is trust yourself, like trust yourself, trust your skill set you and i know people say this all the time but it's the truth like you genuinely have are all that you need to make whatever you want happen i don't i genuinely do not believe that people like us um we like we aren't we don't do what we do by accident nobody when i was growing up nobody wanted to be a coach or consultant or like you know what i'm saying like so that means you were led or you were called to do what you're doing but it is a process there are ebbs and flows um, there's no such thing as a loss. Everything is a lesson, even if it's money involved. And just stay true to yourself. Get around people who, um, what's the word I want to, who model the type of person you want to be, whether it's in business, whether it's in personal, get around those people. That pays huge dividends. And it doesn't always have to be 
you know, a family member. You'll be surprised the type of relationships you can build and cultivate if you're genuine and if you really, really, really want to learn. That that's right. And then just be uh, follow her example when she said like, yo, the first thing I would have done was I got a coach. I would have got a coach way, way sooner. Mm-hmm. So don't feel like you got to do everything on your own. You know, if you're needing help in copywriting right now, she's not taking more clients. But if she does take more clients in the future and all that stuff like that, and you're needing a, a copywriting assistance, don't make you know, something take five years when it could have literally just took six months by you just reaching out to somebody that already got the knowledge, already got the experience, already got the know-how and the background and the testimonials to be able to get you where you want immediately as opposed to you just trying to do it yourself and then wasting five years or 10 years or even maybe you never even reach the goal because you're trying to do it on your own. So be humble enough to just recognize that you need help. Go to the people that have the answers like like she just said, the people that's modeling what you're trying to get or the results that you're trying to get. Uh, so again, I appreciate you being a rising tide. Thank you very much. Anyway, I can be of service to what you got going on. Please let me know. Please don't hesitate to ask. Uh, I would love to support in any type of way. Uh, and again, uh, thank you for coming on Rising Tide. Thanks, Chris. It was great. No problem. You have an amazing day. You too.